Welcome to the Keeping Things Alive podcast out of Buffalo, New York. My name is Laura Evans, and I'm the author of Silent Seasons, Chasing Sustainability Through the Law. I'm also a natural resources planner, an active environmental lawyer, animal lover, and gardener. John Washington co-creates the podcast with me. John is an organizer, political trainer and educator, and Afrofuturist. The Keeping Things Alive podcast is here to explore the opportunities and challenges as we all live together on this beautiful, harsh, and interconnected planet Earth. All right. Hello. Welcome to the Keeping Things Alive podcast. And this is the first live recording um, of an episode ever. So, John, what do you think? I think it's awesome. I love this new uh, service, StreamYard. Uh, hopefully one day they'll sponsor the podcast too, but I think it's going to be a cool, interesting way to do this. And yeah, really excited about uh, what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, me too. So I I really just want to kick it off with you because, well, this is the ballot review episode and we've been doing this for a number of years. We've missed a few years, but um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to doing this again. And yeah, just want to, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's good to be here with you, and we're doing it a little differently this year. Can you explain kind of the timing of this episode and yeah, where we're at with the 2022 general election? Uh, yeah, so the 2022 general election is over for most things. There still is a runoff in Georgia, and right now there's a whole argument about where the Senate is going to swing based on that, um, but it is a very interesting election year. Um a lot of the lines were redrawn because of the 2020 census. Uh, some seats were eliminated, some seats were added, um, and really some major changes that are going to set the stage uh, for how our country runs for the next 10 years, if not more. Yeah, so you and I have been doing this ballot review now where we go through a ballot that you and I, well, we saw you know, last Tuesday, so a week ago tomorrow. And yeah, there's different positions on the ballot. There's different people on the ballot. So we explain that to people. And yeah, I'm excited to do that this year, kind of in the context of what actually happened instead of, you know, what is going to happen. So I think now's a good time to share the ballot. And yeah, I don't know. I I also want to leave most of this to you and introduce it how you want and get started on the different ballot positions. Um, Yeah, so first I want to say that it's really important that people remember that elections happen every single year. Uh, Many people vote every two years, every four years, but elections happen every single year. If you live in New York state, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners do, uh, New York state is a primary state. And so Democrats and Republicans um, often make agreements not to run against each other, which means your real options uh, happen in the primaries and happen really from March uh, when the filing date happens, when people have to like file and register that they are running and, you know, start to turn in their their fundraising uh, really to um, to June. Uh, so usually it's the last uh, week in June, last Tuesday in June, that the primaries will happen. And those are the Democratic primaries. So if you're a Democrat, uh, you get to vote to choose which Democrat shows up in the general election. Um, and then if you're a Republican or any other party, uh, most parties have have some sort of primary unless no one is running. Um, and I will say that it's really important to understand that and to participate in the primaries, because to me, it's kind of like 
the November elections, like watching the Super Bowl without the playoffs. Like you, we actually have a lot of options on how we can get people uh, to that final stage that we see in November. And and so many people and the way it's designed is that people don't really pay attention to the primaries as much. Bernie Sanders changed that a little bit, but still in general, most people are not paying attention to primaries and just the general where we actually have a whole lot um, less options. And so for this year, um, we elected a new governor. Um, Kathy Hochul wasn't exactly a new governor because of um, really because of the work of, of Tiff James and many other people across the state, uh, many powerful women uh, who were able to to uh, force Governor Cuomo to resign. Kathy Hochul had been the acting governor uh, since uh, last summer, um, but really still needed to win an election. Um, she ran against Lee Zedlin, who, uh, yeah, is, uh, represents kind of the, the middle to, to right of the right wing, um, and won pretty handily, um, along with, uh, Thomas DiNapoli, um, Letitia James, who, uh, Thomas DiNapoli is the controller, so is in really in control of a lot of the money, um, pension funds, really, um, our budget is a very complicated thing and a big chunk of it is looking at the future, looking at the debts and investments um, that are managed. And Thomas DiNapoli has also been a big uh, champion of um, anti-climate change legislation uh, and making some really big fundamental changes to um, the way that New York State works. Um, and so I think that it's important to note that, you know, Kathy Hochul will kind of continue with the same administration, a lot of the same people in the same positions as, as Andrew Cuomo. Um, although I think that, you know, she's definitely shown to be uh, very different um, in, in a lot of ways. Um, but I think a lot of that has yeah. to do with just reputation. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for all of that, John. Yeah. So I just wanted to ask you a few questions about the governor of New York and yeah, what are their, like, what does the governor do and what are their responsibilities? And then I'm also kind of curious about like, does every governor of every state have the same responsibilities or do they like differ by state? So every state has a state constitution. Um, mm -hmm. Pretty much every state has a state legislature, although they have like different words for them, especially like Virginia is a commonwealth and, you know, but, but most states have the same structure and it's very similar to the corporate structure there. The, mm -hmm. the governor is the executive and they're basically ahead of the departments and they're ahead of the budget process. And their job is to direct the execution um, of the different laws of New York state. Um, what it really actually boils down to is they're kind of like the authority figure at the end of all of the New York state legislators processes. And so the wow. New York state legislature, will talk about that very soon. Their job is to present new laws or to make adjustments to existing laws, but to create legislation. Um, the biggest piece of legislation they create every year is the New York state budget and baked mm -hmm. into the New York state budget is a whole lot of stuff that honestly should fall in the executive and, and judiciary branches. Um, but actually, People just kind of pigeonhole everything into the budget. Um, and so the governor also signs all those laws. And so while mm. people come up with lots of ideas about laws, the governor's opinions about issues really dictate how politics work, because what's the point of these, you know, 
300 people all organizing themselves to create and pass a law if the governor is not going to sign it. And we saw Andrew Cuomo be very adamant, like, I'm not signing this or I definitely would sign this. Uh, recently, even President Joe Biden put out a whole bunch of stuff that he would sign if and that's kind of like a message. So they're mm-hmm. like kind of the organizer of the legislature. And then they have a whole field of agencies and departments that they oversee through different positions. And so, you know, the executive branch and legislative branch are kind of always at tension because they have to work together, but they have very different powers. And Kathy Oko really controls, I think this year's budget is expected to be about 220 to $240 billion. And we spend that yearly in New York State running all the programs funding all the things that we see. And so she really is like the bottom line, along with the speakers, Andrea Stewart-Cousins and Carl Heasty, who both retain their positions. And those three people make the budget. And because they make the budget, they have enormous amount of influence over all the political deals that got cut across the state. Okay. That makes sense. That makes more sense. Um, I guess to kind of take it back to the comptroller and then I'm also, I'm kind of sitting here trying to decide if it's like a good thing to have the ballot up here or not. And it's like, it's very small for me to see, but I think, can you just, or I don't know, maybe we both can explain like what the ballot is. And so we're kind of looking at, you know, the horizontal lines going across are the different party candidates. And then the positions that were, oh, that's a little better. Yeah. The positions that we're talking about are go, like vertical columns. So, right. um, so that for, so we're kind of going column by column right now. And we want to talk about the different positions. So right there on the far, um, the first like column with the position is government and governor and lieutenant governor. So basically the governor the candidate for governor runs with a person that they'll have as lieutenant governor right and 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 that's if there's no challenge so okay um, yeah a few years ago jamani williams um Mm -hmm. ran uh against kathy hochel um when she ran with cuomo and um you know he came within like two and a half points so if he would have won it would have broke but because this year they all ran together. They just put them together Got on the it. ballot. But it's one of those things where it kind of happens. It's very situational. Generally, they run as a ticket, like president, yeah. vice president. And but occasionally, year, they'll, they'll okay. be challengers for the lieutenant governor as well. Got it. Okay. So, so yeah, we're looking at, like, the Democratic Party line is that first horizontal yeah row across. So, yeah, it's just a grid of, I mean, this is a real ballot that we actually downloaded off of the Erie County site. Um, yeah, is there, so, and then we've got, yeah, Democratic, Republican, Conservative, Working Families Party. I don't know what those other two parties are. Integrity Party doesn't even have any candidates. I I don't understand. Oh, maybe on the next row, because these aren't all here. So maybe on, I cut up the ballot. Yeah. So there are party lines. Um, Mm -hmm. And basically you have to register with the New York State Board of Elections to become a party. And then you have to have a certain number of members. And then each election, you have to have a certain number of people vote on your line. And so in New York State, we have what's called fusion voting, which means you can run as a candidate on multiple lines and all of the votes will still count for you, but they can show up differently. Um, And this is... um, you know, um, basically a way for, you know, like the Working Families Party or the Conservative Party. The Conservative Party wants Republicans to vote on the Conservative Party line because they see that as a statement, uh, as a mandate that those folks who are elected on their line meet their agenda, along with the Working Mm -hmm. Families Party. 
Um, often, like Byron Brown created uh, a party last year to run on uh, in, as, a, as an attempt to get on the ballot. That, that did not work. Um, but ultimately, showing up on the ballot has a huge impact on people's perception of, mm -hmm. of you as a candidate. Uh, and ultimately, you know, people write in candidates very often lose, although Byron Brown won last year. That's, you, you know, he's a 30 year politician with a lot of name, name recognition. But getting your name on the ballot multiple times uh, psychologically and statistically uh, makes it way more likely that you're going to get elected. And so some years you'll see even more parties on here. Um, so I'm not sure what the LaRoche party is, the Integrity Party. Um, not not exactly sure what they are, but really somebody is trying to you know get a different name on the ballot or get a lower standard because it's really hard to win a Democratic primary. Uh, but when you create your own party, then you control your own primaries and the way that those things work. And then all of this works differently in, in every state. There's the same overall structure, um, but lots of subtle differences. So you know, in the South, um, you see. It's, it's much, much harder uh, to have a party like that. So you don't see like the Working Families Party. You see that usually in New York State, Northeastern and Midwestern states uh, where they have this um, kind of open party infusion voting system um, where the, the votes do count for you, even though they come from different places. Okay, um, thanks. I wanted to move on to the next column after Comptroller and talk about the Attorney General. And you mentioned Tish James uh, earlier in the context of the governor. And so, um, yeah, I guess, can we go back to the first slide again really quickly? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Letitia A. James goes by Tish James. And yeah, she's the Attorney General and she just won re-election. So, yeah, she's the person who uh, brought a case against Cuomo and led to his, um, how did it all go down? <laughs> I forget. Impeachment, uh, yeah, resignation. It is all a blur at this point, but it all all happened. And then Kathy Hochul, who was lieutenant governor, became governor. So yeah, she's an important, I was looking up like the description of the attorney general and they're like, they're supposed to be like the people's lawyer of New York State, guardian of the legal rights of the citizens of New York. So, yeah, I looked up different divisions like appeals and opinions, state council, criminal justice, economic justice and social justice. Um, but, yeah, John, what do you want to say about that for, so the, for the, your term? So the attorney general is a very important position because traditionally, um, whenever cases are brought by... You know, and I, I, I get pissed every time I go to court because, you know, the attorneys say that they represent the people of New York State. Uh, we all know that the district attorney, uh, who currently is John Flynn and, and DAs, uh, they don't represent me. Right. And I know that most people don't believe that they represent them. And so the idea of an attorney general is that everyone in New York State uh, can reach out to the attorney general's office if they have grievances. So uh, in the past, Eric Schneiderman, uh, who also uh, was a, a toxic man who did a lot of horrible things. Uh, but when he was in office, you know, he fought a lot of lawsuits against banks, against fossil fuel corporations. Um, on behalf of the people, he used the legal system um, to file cases. And so Tish James has done the same thing. Uh, she's filed against, you know, the New York Police Department. Uh, she's established some practices around um, what, you know, happens when people are murdered by the police. Uh, she's gone after some banks. She's gone after, um, you know, Evans Bank and a few other things that, that were kind of in the works before she got there. Um, and so the attorney general 
um, and the attorneys general also by state uh, have a particular role um, in Congress and the U.S. Constitution as being the representatives, um, you know, of the U.S. government. And there are times uh, like during the Clean Power Plan where all the attorney generals um, came together, at least the ones that are from, from blue states, um, and sued the federal government um, for basically for more money and resources for the EPA to enforce um, better, you know, some of uh, the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act. Um, so it's a very interesting position because, um, like, theoretically, you have to file things with the attorney general. You file complaints. Lawyers do that a lot of, um, like, the UB law clinic and law clinics will help. So they technically are everybody's attorney, but there also are a lot of processes and bureaucracy into getting access to them. And I personally think that, you know, in New York, the New York state attorney general is usually the most active um, and radical attorney general uh, in the country and often is taking a leadership role um, during periods of time where there is right-wing power, like during Trump, um, mm. when, when, when a lot of, um, the New York State Attorney General did lead a lot of the actions against Trump in New York State and, and federally. Okay. Well, okay, speaking of federally with the U.S. Senator, so Chuck Schumer, he won re-election. And I guess just, yeah, really briefly about, um, yeah, the U.S. Senate, They just the big news was that the yeah, Democrats retained majority and, yeah, we're... Uh, Chuck Schumer is a Democratic senator that has been in, a New York State senator for, I, do you know how many years? I, I'll let you explain. Over, over, over 30 years. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's Chuck, a long time. Yeah. And Chuck Schumer, I think I, I call, consider him the most powerful man in America, um, partially because his role as the majority leader uh, means that when a bill passes, you know, he's, he's kind of the final say. Um, and he has access to the president and is the one who is the Speaker of the House, right? The Speaker of the Senate, the majority leader, uh, is a person who has access to the executive branch and, 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 and is, is able to communicate with them uh, much more than the average senator, average congressperson. And the fact that he represents the state of New York um, really puts us in um, a, a different position uh, as far as what the opinions of our state mean. Um, you know, to the rest of the country. Um, so Chuck Schumer has been doing it for a long time. Um, and I think he, uh, you know, honestly, I think he could be doing way more and should be doing way more. And at the same time, I don't think there's many people who could organize the state the way that he has. And that's why senators often show up the way that they do, because you really have to get a whole. It's one thing to get a neighborhood to vote mm. for you or even a city to vote for you. But to get an entire state to vote for you uh, takes a particular type of political power and organization. And it's just very difficult to do upstart. Uh, and that's right. why the Senate tends to be more conservative. And even for those who are political scientists, the Senate is a reflection of a republic, not a democracy. And so technically, America because it has a Senate. And a Senate means that there are two senators per state. So mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how many people live in a state. Like right. <clears throat> North Dakota has less than a million people that live in it. It still gets two senators. Right. New York State has, you know, 20 million people that live in it. They get two senators. Uh, you know, California, most populous state, you know, has two senators. Now, right. New York State and California have the most congressmen. And there are many maps that are out now that uh, we should find and you put on your website about like what the world, what the country would look like um, if the Senate was dictated by population uh, right. in a different way. Uh, but it, they just have an enormous amount of power. And then things have to pass the House first 
and then go to the Senate. And then mm-hmm. ultimately for them to be put on the president's desk, they have to go through the majority leader. And uh, Chuck Schumer has been that majority leader for, for quite some time now. Obviously, if somehow the Republicans do win the Senate, then he will be the minority leader, uh, which most people are familiar with Mitch McConnell, uh, who's, mm-hmm. who's been in, 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 in recent history. Um, the majority or minority leader, but the leader of the Republican Party um, in the Senate. And so you know those names because those folks are the ones who are making the deals that dictate what happens in our country. Uh, Mm. So I I encourage everybody to build a relationship. Chuck um, actually gets around a lot, has a lot of offices um, around the state. um, And it's really important because so much of what happens in the state government is also funded by the federal government and happens through some of the deals. And it kind of, you know, trickles down to our local governments and in counties and and anybody who's been around sees, you know, how much road money and and infrastructure money that they really did put in um, the CARES Act uh, and Mm -hmm. to build back better. And, and the reality that, you know, we're seeing lots more counties have more resources to to pave roads and take care of certain parts of the transportation problem. And that really goes back to um, to the, the kind of listening that Chuck Schumer is doing on what kind of deals he can cut to to help these funds trickle down to um, to different more local governments. Um, so it's a really important thing um, to to vote for. And it also means that. Um, right now, there is a slight, slight majority uh, for the Democrats and a Democratic president, which technically makes it easier uh, for Democrats to move their agenda because they can outvote um, the Republicans. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I I don't want to spend, like, I don't know, a lot of time on every single one. because I So I know Congress is coming up and yeah, Brian Higgins won, at least in our area. But you, yeah, you really did just do a great job of explaining the, the difference between the, the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives. And, and you kind of mentioned also like right early on in the episode about how um, the 2020 census changed things. And that really happened in Congress, like with, yeah, the Brian Higgins, Eddie Eager race, because uh, the 2020 census came out, new populations are, you know, people move. And so it's different in different places. And that's how they decide like how many, how many uh, representatives each state gets. It's based on population. So yeah. yeah, and there was a lawsuit that was filed by some folks in the right wing to challenge mm, the right. the math problem that translated the census to the districts because it mm. really is very subjective. And you know, if you anybody who's ever looked at an election map, it's like these lines are so weird. Um, right. Just look at the Buffalo Common Council and the way that they're drawn. So the thing is, there's a lot of different ways to make the right. population into a bunch of different regions, and yeah. so that was challenged, and then they had to redo all of the federal primaries. So normally, uh, Mm. and folks who were doing elections were going nuts because normally you go from March to June and you do a primary and that decides. And they actually, in July, decided to redo the primaries and and have a whole new set of primaries that went into August, Mm. um, which really did make it incredibly difficult around the country for anybody who wanted to break into Congress. And and our new Congress folks, I give major props to them, whatever side they're on, because they basically had to play the game twice um, to get in. For older folks, that's not as hard, but if you've never been a congressperson before and you budgeted to spend X amount of dollars on this 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 little stint mm-hmm. to have to do all that all over again was was really 
uh, enormous and also sets a precedent for for kind of establishing the role that gerrymandering has uh, mm. in us deciding, you know, who represents us. But I do want to name um, that that the um, the Democrats did lose a lot of seats uh, in Congress. And so the GOP has a majority of, I believe, um, nine people now. Um, and and so that that yeah. is going to have a huge effect on what is possible. Well, the last I checked, they haven't like fully like decided on the actual right, there, number. There are but some. I don't really know this. Stat- I kept. I keep trying to figure it out. And to be honest, like it is like. I mean, I appreciate like all of this information that you're giving us and and me and everything. But it is. It's a lot. Like I. I don't know. I'm just like. It's well, it's a, designed it's to be overwhelming. Yeah. It is exactly. designed to make you want to so check yeah. out. Right, exactly. So to bring it back to the ballot, I guess, I don't know. Um, And it's weird because I'm looking at the order and I want to say like, oh, move to the next slide to talk about like the state senators. But also if you just move over as a voter, you get to the justice of the Supreme Court. Um, And I don't know, it just, it's strange to me. So yeah, the order doesn't make sense. Like everything just, yeah, it's very, yeah. Well, we can talk about the state senators. And um, so to me, you know, the state senators are very similar to the federal senators. There's a mm-hmm. state Senate that relates to the governor, as we talked about. Uh, Tim Kennedy is going to be representing most of the Buffalo and suburban area for the 14208. Um, and then there's Sean Ryan uh, is also going to be representing a lot of the Buffalo area. There are a few other really important Senate races. And really, the Democrats have strengthened a slightly. Um, their majority in the New York State Senate, uh, which, again, similar to the conversation we had before, means that with a Democratic governor, uh, a Democratic Senate, uh, and a mostly Democratic Assembly, theoretically, um, Democratic values and issues should be moving. Um, Mm -hmm. Crystal People Stokes is not just a member of the Assembly, but she is the majority leader. So that puts her just... she ran unopposed because, yeah. Yep, she she ran unopposed... um, on every line. And that, that really, you know, just reflects again, that no, no Republican is going to challenge a Democrat um, in an urban area in New York state. Um, Lee Zedlin challenged Kathy Hochul, like throughout the whole state. And there are people across the state who have, but Buffalo is so traditionally blue, you know, they've, they've kind of just agreed that, that this is blue turf. And so um, there was a slight challenge uh, to Tim Kennedy, no challenge to Crystal People Stokes, and then Crystal People Stokes is, is the majority leader. Uh, so she's she works with the speaker on creating the Democratic Party agenda. And I always tell everybody, you know, one of the most powerful women in New York State, therefore the country and the world, um, and really has a, has a lot of influence over the New York State budget and what happens. Uh, and in many ways, you know, has power across the state because of the majority, you know, leader position, which we, we, we hope that, I personally hope that, that she retains. Um, and so I think the New York State legislature functions a lot like Congress, um, but just focused on New York State. Um, and definitely tends to to lean left, but also is heavily driven by corporate interests and also by the opinions of the comptroller about how much money we're spending and how that money kind of like looks over time. Um, but yeah, I'll just yeah. pause there. Well, and also um, just New York City versus the rest, like upstate, you know, it's like there's just, it's really hard to... Um, 
I, I don't know. It's just really hard to put my uh, mind around this state and like its needs and like, yeah, just the differences and yeah, visiting New York City versus growing up in Western New York. Um, it's a very different place compared to like other states that I've, you know, passed through or lived in. It's like, uh, yeah, this place has a, a lot of contrasts and a lot of competing interests. And then there's just such a huge population in New York City um, compared to Buffalo. I mean, what, how, what's the population of Buffalo, New York? Um, it's 240. Oh, 40. That's darn. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah um, it's but it, it's, it's, it's changing too. So it's somewhere True. between 240 and 260. Um, and yeah, New York, you know, the city proper, I think is like 9 million. I think the metro area is like, you know, somewhere close to 12 or 13 million people. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, downstate does dominate New York City politics. But I think one of Cuomo's strategies actually was to um, to try to bring some more of the conversation to Buffalo, being the second most populous, um, you know, city in the state and, and, and Buffalo, Rochester, Western New York region. Um, so you saw, you know, how much of Cuomo invested a lot of money in the region. Don't think it all worked out the way that it was named or framed. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that there's been a major political shift uh, to both parties trying to build more power in Western New York um, and, and Long Island, uh, two particular places they get focused on a lot. Also the Mid-Hudson region, um, kind of the area between, you know, just above New York City and Albany have become more and more important because everybody's really battling out to figure out how, okay, you have your hold on New York City, which area of the state is actually going to, um, right. you know, give you a majority or, or give you the kind of power that you need. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. I think now I just, because we're almost at 30 minutes, so trying to um, bring together like all of judges. the courts together, yeah, the judges together in a way, um, I guess I just want to point out to start off with, and I've talked about this before on ballot reviews, but the justice of the Supreme Court, it's the trial court in Erie County and New York State just has this weird system where they name their like low level courts, the Supreme Courts, and it's just and then everywhere else, the Supreme Court is like the top. So the I just get, Court. I get really confused and I, every time, but um, yeah, in this particular one, I mean, John, I want you to say more about, um, yeah, your opinion of all the judges here, but also that there's six choices for five spots um, and then family court, one choice in one spot and only one party put it on their line. It's like, <laughs> so that's really my my opinion but yeah judges judges and elections are weird because they yeah. the theory is that because they have 10-year terms they're more accountable to people and they're less influenced by party but parties mm -hmm. pretty much run everything and so you know to become a judge in erie county you know you really only have to have a law degree you don't have to have a whole lot of experience and um, there's a whole hierarchy to how people move through the judgeships. Uh, the chief judge kind of tells oh, all the right. other judges and organizes the different, if you've ever been to court, there's different parts, there's different judges that handle different things. So the, the city court judge, Jahar, who's now going to be Jahar Prison, kind of takes that. Um, then there are city court judges and there's certain things, you know, between the city and the county. So the county does the, the district attorney is the person who, actually like it um in their office manage a lot of how crime is handled but then the court system is actually a city court system and then there are certain crimes that go to the county and then you go to the county holding center but you might go to the county holding center to wait for city court 
Um, so there's a lot of complexity to who gets to be what kind of judge. And I, I don't will not say that I understand it all. It's just the interesting part of our government that sometimes, you know, federal judges get appointed um, in New York state. You know, a lot of the local judges get elected, um, but then they get elected for 10 years. And, and, and in reality, there's a level of um, respectability politics to, you know, how you come up and how you do that. Um, and there's really a whole court of judges and legal professionals uh, that kind of decide like who is seen as viable candidates. Um, but yeah, the city court judges have a purview over the city court things, uh, the county judges, and obviously you have the family court judge who, who goes over family court. And then there's all of these tensions between who has powers over what, and then who's really going to get convicted? Because at the end of the day, our court system is less about justice and more about the efficiency of its operation and who's going to get convicted, how do we convict people? So also the DA and then even the county clerk who sets a lot of these like little minor rules um, and fines and fees and, and logistics, works out the logistics of that, um, mm -hmm. have a huge influence. And also the comptrollers um, because the ultimately these cases cost money and they also make money. People pay restitution, mm -hmm. they get their assets seized. And so, you know, there's a whole lot of complexity and I, I understand the least about the judges, um, just that, you know, they get voted in for 10 years. Um, and, and that's a big deal, actually, because these people are going to be, you know, making decisions over our lives for, for quite some time. Uh, I have had a few interactions with, you know, Sam Davis and a few other folks uh, who are on the ballot who, you know, I think, you know, have, have shown me to be, you know, good, you know, community-centered folks. But I've, you know, also heard many other folks in the community who, who have critiques of what they've done or who don't feel that they were served, you know, by them. So it, it really is, um, is, is complicated and it's a weird way that our judicial system kind of aligns with the legislative system. Um, and I think elections are also one of the only things that kind of ties and impact all the systems at once. Yeah. And yeah, you've mentioned the DA or like district attorney a couple of times. I know that like the district attorney was not on the ballot this year, but I believe it was last year. So we, last year. we, had, we yep. talked more so, about that position last year in the ballot mm -hmm. review. Um, okay. I want to just talk a little more about what's on the ballot, um, including that environmental proposition, which is on the next slide. Um, do you want to say anything about county clerk or... Uh, yeah, uh, I just want to say, kinda, yeah, go ahead. The county, the county clerk. Um, if you've ever been to the DMV, if you've ever been to, you know, DSS, uh, really like the Rath Building, um, that's who runs that, and I think it is a really solid patronage position, which really means that like people, if you can keep the job and do well at it, you can keep it for a while, get well paid, and a lot of people are really that appeals to, and it gives you a lot of power over jobs it get, like you get to mm. decide who's the commissioner who's the head of because you're the clerk looking over all of the county's departments and their yeah. records um so records, traditionally that's yeah. that's that's really what the power of it is um and if you ever want to complain about the dmv or any long lines you're waiting in or all that kind of stuff uh you really should you know talk to your your county clerk and get engaged with it because it's like some of the most boring stuff but it's actually some of the stuff that like impacts your life the most right Okay, can we go to the last slide, which has the school board, uh, one candidate, and then also this proposal number one, which is an environmental bond act. So yeah, yeah I'll, 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 I'll let I'll, you talk about it. I'll start with the environmental bond act. So yeah. um, really what it does is um, 
And and most of our government used to be funded by the sale of bonds. So even if you like look up old stuff about World War One and World War Two, you know, even Uncle Sam, it was a marketing campaign to get people to buy war bonds uh, to Ooh. basically help. And basically a bond is, is just like a backing of a loan. Uh, so what the New York state government is doing is it's saying that it will guarantee four billion dollars of bonds. Uh, and what a bond is, is basically it's almost like a reverse of like a debt, like where we would go to a bank and say, hey, can we borrow four billion dollars? This is how good our credit is. And here's our proof. A bond is really like a bet against the state. It's basically the state saying, look, we got four billion dollars and we will pay you back over time based on this yield or interest rate. And because we are the New York state government and that's where government credit ratings, you know, so that's another thing the governor and the comptroller manage is mm. New York state government actually, you know, it has a credit report just like you or I do. Like it has loans, it has, you know, pensions, it has all kinds of things that it is borrowed against or paid back or sold or exchanged as the state of New York. And okay. so a bond is basically saying that in, and it would, it's huge for municipalities because the city of Buffalo could say, you know, comptroller, we want to issue $2 billion worth of bonds to fully remediate every home in Buffalo um, and redo every pipe in Buffalo. Um, mm -hmm. And this is basically saying that in order to, for the purposes of environmental protection, restoration, resiliency, and clean energy, um, programs that the state has the capacity to issue and sell bonds in order to finance those things. And so, you know, you and I both worked on the CLCPA and New York Renews, and one of the big things, big questions uh, was how do you pay for it? Uh, and to me, this is actually, it's, you know, much smaller in scale than the CCIA or some of the other stuff that's out yeah, there. Yeah, so real quick with the with the acronyms, it's like the Climate Leadership and Community and Protection Community Act, Protection right? Act. So that's the climate law that got passed in 2019. And then the CCIA is the Climate Community Investment Act. And that's the one that has not passed. So it's right. really the trying to get uh, people who have polluted with, yeah, a lot of like carbon emissions to pay a tax, I guess, and then fund all of the programs. So yeah, I guess they haven't been able to get that figured out, but this is like a step towards funding some of the stuff in the climate law. And yeah, I mean, there's so much, there's a huge need for so many environmental projects and clean water, and clean air. I mean, it makes a lot of sense, <laughs> but also, yeah, I'm very curious about like, who decides like who to give bond funds to? Like, where does this all go? I, well, I yeah. So I think when a state issues bond, like, so every city in the country, every county sells mm. bonds and exchanges bonds to fund projects um, mm. whenever they don't have a funding mechanism in the state government or if they don't have a funding mechanism. And it's it's really just the way that the so government uses So is like the Department credit. of State or is this like the Department no, of this Environmental would be the Conservation? Okay, the Comptroller. This would be the Comptroller. Okay. And so the Comptroller is the one that has the to authorize the sale of bonds. Mm -hmm. But in order to authorize the sale of bonds, it'd have to be a conversation uh, probably mm -hmm. a bill um, mm -hmm. or some sort of what they call a funded mandate, uh, which is basically like a bunch of people figure out what they want to spend money on. And then they would have to ask the governor and then the okay. governor would ask the comptroller and the comptroller okay. would say, okay. yes, we can <laughs> issue these bonds. And then the governor would sign the check and say, 
you here's four billion dollars to do that with. So it's a way, it's a mechanism that that we all can use through the government to try to fund the projects that are that are listed here. And I'm really interested in how people actually figure out how to do that. My assumption yeah, like is that who is this the we? Like I just I deeply do not understand like who is applying for these things. And then like yeah, Environmental Bond Act of 2022. Like when will when will this funding be released? Or this is just I, I don't know. Well, I mean, it's all, it's I don't all understand executive. what you just said. Yeah. Well, it's all executive, right? So, mm-hmm. like, to, in order to issue a bond, the governor and comptroller kind of are at the one end of approving it, and then the the process before that is actually really vague. It's like, but what happened know, here? So, so, so what happened it here? Voted is they, yes, like it passed. The state, so. the state has the right to issue four billion dollars worth of bonds. The question is. When will they do that? Why will they? So they have the right to okay. do it, but we okay. don't know, right? And and so mm-hmm. I assume in next year's New York State budget, you're going to see, um, you know, some sort of authorization to bond to fund some. I assume that there's there's already something in the works that people want to fund, yeah. um, but I think long term, they they have four billion dollars to use on these issues, and mm-hmm. it's kind of up to us to figure out how to get them to use it the ways that that we see fit. Okay. All right. Well, we have five minutes left, and I think we made it through most of the ballot. Um, I do want to talk about uh, kind of looking out into next year because, yeah, like we said in the beginning, like a lot of times by the time it gets to the election next year, everything's already been decided. So, yeah, I do want to talk a little bit about like what's on the horizon. And then, yeah, I mean, I don't even like how people could get involved, but just to like really show that there are other parts of the process that are happening outside of like November. Um, Yeah. Um, So next year, at least locally, there will be common council races for Buffalo City Common Council. Uh, There'll be races for the Erie County Legislature. Um, And um, I think those are like really important local elections to get involved in because they dictate a lot about how money is spent in our region um, and um, about how, yeah, how laws are worked through. Um, And I think after the mayoral election last year, um, you know, we're going to see a whole lot of people running for different positions. Um, and I think it'll be, uh, it's just more real. Like to, to be honest, it feels more real to think about who is the counselor for my, in my district, uh, or, you know, who's, you know, how the Erie County budget is going to get spent. Uh, even though the general political conversation is almost always about Congress, you know, those are things that are really going to affect you and the programming and the things that you see in your neighborhoods. And those elections are, are, you know, people are talking about them right now. Uh, there's a filing date in in March, and then from March to June, we'll have the primaries. Um, and I'm sure that there's going to be a lot of people who are looking to get those positions and, and move out um, some of the incumbents. <coughs> excuse me, that we've had for for a long time. Um, so I think it's really important to get involved, you know, in those races and just at least take a look at, um, you know, who you think you might want to represent you. Um, and then I think. Um, you know, party representation is also important. You should check, like, are you registered a Democrat? People who are registered independents, I know it's a very popular thing to do because most people think I'm independent, I don't belong to a party, but it also does take you out of the game. It means that during the primaries, you don't have a say uh, in, in, in either side. And so I think if you lean to the left, 
you know, becoming a Democrat or working families party, if you lean to the right uh, conservative party or, or Republican party so that you can actually participate. Otherwise, you know, you, it's kind of like if you're a football fan and you don't get to watch the playoffs, you just get to see who's in the Super Bowl and that's who you have to root for. Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I I guess I'm curious. Is it is it just kind of like smaller and smaller um, levels into the local? But, you know, yeah, the mayor election was last year. City council will be next year. That is like the legislature. Right. So what does the city council actually preside over in the city of Buffalo and how, um, what is their relationship to the mayor? Uh, so just like the New York State Legislature and the governor okay. and yeah. the um, the Congress and the president, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's not bicameral, right? There's not. There's not two. There's just one. There's one group of nine people, mm-hmm. um, and so um, they represent nine districts. There is actually some movement to try to get at-large seats, uh, which mm-hmm. there were two of. Um, as 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 recently as I think 2002, um, when when Charlie Fisher was was on the board uh, was on there, but they're essentially like the board of directors for the mayor. Um, they can pass legislation. The mayor can veto that legislation, so they need at least six votes to have veto-proof legislation. Um, and so they they get to decide what laws, um, not necessarily how they're executed or applied. That's mm-hmm. the mayor and his department's role. Uh, they also get to decide on the budget, right? And the budget is the big thing that pulls all forms of government together uh, to make sure that the government keeps running every year. Um, mm. And so I think we feel that a lot whenever there's like a fiscal cliff or whatever crisis they create in Congress. But I think that the, the city of Buffalo budget um, and what the city of Buffalo is paying for, spending money on, and what rules apply uh, to the citizens of the city of Buffalo um, are in the hands of the Common Council. Um, and um, yeah, they've actually been making a lot more changes in the past few years. I really think, you know, since George Floyd and before that, people have really, really pushing um, the council for a lot of things. And there's a lot of people who want to be on the council. Uh, and then you have, you know, Joe Golumbek, um, who probably is going to be taking a step back. So you're going to start to see like, you know, races that don't have incumbents. Um, mm. and there's other people who are rumored to be taking a step it's, back and none of this is totally clear. Um, mm. But I think it's going to be an interesting race and a race that really is going to set a tone for what our city is going to be like for the for the foreseeable future. Okay. Well, I'm excited about it, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, I really appreciate all of your yeah time and sharing all this knowledge with all of us. Yeah, one more year i think yeah it's it's really good to yeah just kind of go through this and yeah i guess this time just concluding uh statements or whatever about being on this side of the election you know it's it's not i don't know other years it's like go out and vote like what do you want to tell people to do at the end of this now um what i'll let let you have the last word so yeah um, one, I just want to say school boards are, are very important and we have oh, Sharon yeah. Gottman. No, most people, except for Jen McCosey, ran unopposed. Uh, so we have a few new school board members and actually the school board budget is $1.8 billion. Mm. <clears throat> Our school population is 36,000 young people and some of them age out every year. So the impact over the course of three years is, is a lot of people. Um, so we didn't really talk about that, but I guess the general right. message yeah. that, I, that I have is yeah. that it's really, like if you... If you want to keep things alive um, and if you believe and have like really, you know, strong beliefs about how the world should work, um, you know, politics are just the where power is at. And so I see a lot of folks who care about the environment, who care about larger issues, 
Um, but ultimately are challenged by understanding politics. And I think that, unfortunately, this is the system we have, and, and, and it's going to be very difficult to make any changes without understanding and observing it. Uh, and actually, like when you get into the weeds of it, it's, it's entertaining. Um, there's a lot of amazing and powerful stories. Yeah. And it's really in the... In, it's, it benefits political machines of both parties, which both parties operate in different ways across the country, for us not to be interested and to make things look boring. And so what I want to say to everybody is politics is not as boring as it looks, especially if you care about where you live. If you care about any issue, uh, we can connect it to who has power over that issue and agenda um, and a lot of work that's being done to make sure all of this looks boring and disengaging. And so to me, the goal of most politicians is to reduce the electorate and the electorate is just how many people vote in a district uh, and what the district look like. They want to curate that and gerrymander that and rig that uh, to their benefit and to make things easy for them to win and win consistently and not have to do things that they don't want to do. And so the less people that vote, the, the easier it is. And in this election and in many other elections, um, you'll see like very, very low turnout. But that turnout is also a concentrated base of people uh, that 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 agree with the agenda um, of of the elected officials that are that are moving it. And so I think you know if everybody voted, the country would be a totally different place. And so there's a lot of efforts to to get people to vote, but most of them are not really genuine. And so I always encourage people that care about their 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 families, their lives, the rules that go over them, um, to pay attention and to get interested in it. Um, and to not, you know, get played by this idea that this is boring and nobody wants to vote and your vote doesn't matter because your vote does. How much it does, how much it's going to get you exactly what you want is a different story, but it absolutely has an impact. Um, and even if your candidate doesn't win, the amount of people who voted in that election that care about something can have an enormous influence. And most of our elected officials um, are spineless, right? They don't actually have an agenda that they're moving. They just want to maintain their power. And so when we have agendas, we can actually move and have an impact uh, on what they do. Uh, and I believe most people want to keep things alive and want a safe, decent place to live. Uh, and I think if all the people who really want that start voting more, uh, it's not a guarantee, but it, it changes the possibilities that we have. Uh, so I'm just encouraging everybody to dig into it because it is one big soap opera. And when you do get into it, it actually is um, way, way, way more interesting than any show that you can put on Netflix. All right. Thanks, John. I really appreciate you being here. And yeah, we'll have to do this, uh, the video podcast again soon. Cause yeah, I liked it. I, I have some getting used to it, but it, it's good. So yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Keeping Things Alive podcast. For more information, please visit www.keepingthingsalive.org.